Have you noticed uh, how we tend to spend countless hours and dollars trying to control our circumstances? Um, we buy life, health, and automobile insurance. We schedule regular checkups. Uh, we watch our diets. We monitor our investments. Um, we look for new ways to manage our time and sometimes even our kids um, in an attempt to bring stability to our world. And um, we become experts at trying to manipulate the events of our lives so that we can experience some degree of security. Uh, too many times, though, our, our happiness seems to revolve around what's happening, uh, whatever's happening around us. The truth is, from, I think we all know this, that on the average day, uh, you can find the average person wrapping an enormous amount of energy and time around things that are unpredictable. And we think, well, if I can just land that job, if I can um, make that team, if he will ask me out, if they will break up, if uh, I can buy that car, if I can pass that exam, as if any of these events in and of themselves can bring permanent uh, stability to our lives. And um, we have to admit that we work hard every day to minimize the unpredictability of our circumstances because we think if we do so, it will improve the quality of our lives. Now, this morning we're going to look at Scripture, and I think it's going to challenge our thinking in regard to that. Because what if God has a different strategy uh, than, you, than you do when it comes to manipulating your circumstances? Um, what if the same circumstances that you hope will improve your quality of life, God desires to use to improve the quality of your faith? Now, here's an idea. The, the, the changing events in your life often are the best platforms to build your trust in an unchanging God. And isn't it true that every once in a while a situation or an event comes along that is timely or dramatic and it seems to put every other circumstance in a new light, in a new context? Uh, these circumstances have the potential to turn um, your heart around and redirect your faith. And when that happens, you tend to refocus your life on what really matters. I'm suggesting to you that it is no accident that God sometimes causes and sometimes leverages things that happens in our life uh, to turn your attention towards him. Uh, that's why we call them pivotal circumstances. Um, you probably, most of you probably have a story. You could have told stories similar to the people on the, in the video. You, you probably have a story about how God used a pivotal circumstance to redirect or maybe, maybe even to initiate, in some of your cases, uh, a faith. Maybe there was a death of a loved one. Maybe there was a, a transfer to another city. Maybe there was a, a chance meeting, a marriage, a birth, a bonus, an accident. Whatever it was, it was a catalyst in a real sense for your faith. And you decided to reprioritize your life. And you showed back up at church. You started having conversations about faith. Uh, maybe you even started talking to God again. And the bottom line is that God uses certain events in our life so often to draw us closer to him and to remind us uh, that he really is God. Now, I love what C.S. Lewis said in, in, uh, in the uh, book, The Problem of Pain. It's a little book that he has. He says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to raise a deaf world. And, and so often, many of the things that really get our attention, that change the direction of our life, so often they're negative things in our life. And uh, so often, many of us think that, you know, if you're not a Christian, what happens, we think, well, you know, when we talk about God using these things is just an excuse for God. You know, he kind of messed up and, and he, uh, you know, he let something happen. But I want to look at something today, a passage of Scripture that really, really uh, points out that how God uses this whole thing of pivotal circumstances. 
Uh, before we look at the main passage we're going to look at today, though, I want to also look at a passage, just briefly, just read it, that James, the brother of Jesus, uh, spoke about. When he talks about the whole thing of, of trials and sufferings and times in our life, he says this in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. Uh, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I looked through Scripture and discovered that one of the... Last week we looked at a very familiar passage. Today we're going to look at another very familiar passage. Sometimes the most familiar passages are there. The reason they're familiar is because they have so much to say. And our, our, our problem this morning is when I mentioned the, the passage we're going to look at, and we read the first verse, uh, most of you who've been in church, you've grown up in church, you've read this story, your first thought will be to the end of the story. Because you'll know as soon as I read the first verse what the ending is. But I hope you'll not go there. I hope what you'll do is stick with us because there's so much to teach that Jesus is telling us in regards to this whole thing of the importance of how he leverages pivotal circumstances in our life to redirect our faith and why it's such an important thing and a high priority, maybe the highest priority of anything he has in our life as well. And it's in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 11, and it's not going to be on your outline. It's not, there's not the scripture this morning. It will be on the screen. There was too many verses to put in the outline, and so I don't have them there. Uh, you can look it up. John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And it says, says this in verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Now, some of you just leap to the end right then, okay? Right? I mean, you know what the story's all about. He's healed. Yes, he's... Okay. Anyway, a man named Lazarus was sick. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Uh, we have a story uh, in, in John 11 that talks about this, uh, this, this, this family, this guy named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their relationship with Jesus. Let's skip down a couple of verses. In verse 3, verse 3 it says, so it says he was sick in verse 1. Then in verse 3 it says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. And it's a strange way to say this to Jesus. Like They didn't say Lazarus is sick. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. I wonder why they said it that way. Are they trying to remind Jesus how you love, love Lazarus more than most people? Uh, doesn't Jesus love everybody? You know, doesn't it say, for God so loved the world that he, you know, he loves all of us, right? And Jesus is God, and so he loves all of us. But there was some kind of connection, some kind of special relationship. It, it points out in the very beginning of this passage uh, between Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. In verse 4, it says, when, he, when Jesus heard this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, those of us who know the whole story are going like, What? Well, you understand the whole picture here. He says, then he says this. He says, no, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. And that's a new category of thinking for many of us. He says, for God's glory. When we think about giving God praise and glory... You know, we, lo we love to do that. You know, you just want a, you just want a football game or you, you, just, you, know, you just scored a winning touchdown and, and, and you're interviewed. And what do you see often, you know, when people do that? They're, they're, the ones that are Christians are claimed to be. We just want to give God praise for this because, you know, da-da-da. You know, we get all excited about giving God that kind of glory. We're all in on that one, right? I do something good, I get a new job. I just want to give God praise for the ability, da-da. And we do say those kind of things. But Jesus points out a new category here. The new category is this. He says, he said, this sickness will end in the death, it is, God, it is for God's glory. 
this category is this. It's sometimes God is glorified through what? This is not hard. Sickness. Through sickness. This is a new category. Log that away on your file somewhere. That sometimes God uses even sickness to bring glory to himself because we don't want to think that way. We just don't want to think that way. But God wants to bring glory to himself. Now, verse 5. Now, verse 5. Now, Jesus, now, once again, why does it say this? Once again, just to establish this relationship between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and Jesus. It says, now, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay? Remember earlier, uh, they, the, girl, the ladies had sent, sent a note to Jesus saying, hey, you know, the one you love is sick. And now it's saying that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and her sister and Lazarus. Once again, it's, there's, this, there's this contrast between uh, kind of showing that there's this special relationship between uh, Mary and Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus here that not most people did not have. Jesus had spent time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had been in their home. He knew them very well. They were special friends. And then because of that, because of that, um, the next verse is totally unexpected. Verse 5. So, or in some translations it says, yet... So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what do you expect Jesus to do? What do we do when somebody we know that's close to us is sick? Very sick. We run to them, right? We get in a car, we jump on a plane, we get there right away. That's not what Jesus does here. It says he stayed there, stayed where he was two more days. You know, he heard that Lazarus was sick, was, you know, was I guess terminally ill is the term. He was sick. And he did exactly what we would not expect him to do. And we think about that for a minute, and we're going, we're scratching our heads, we're going, why did he do that? It's because Jesus had a bigger agenda. He had a bigger plan here. He sees, he has a different view than we do. You know, sometimes in the business world, people talk about if they're, if they're leaders, they talk about having the 10,000-foot view or whatever like that. You know, Jesus doesn't have, he has a million-mile view. He, he sees things that we can never even think of, you know, and it's, he sees the bigger picture. And so often when we try to place in the context of who we are, we miss the point that Jesus understands a lot of things in a different light. And so we, we don't, when we place them in our limited perspective it doesn't make sense he stayed exactly where he was for two more days and then he says something to verse seven it's kind of weird and then he said to this after hanging out for two days there extra after hearing he's sick not running there right away then he said to his disciples let us go back to judea now judea is the region where bethany is it was was uh, located where mary and martha and lazarus are and it was about a four-day journey away from where from where he was at the time and then the, and the disciples, I love Scripture. Last week we talked about this. How often we know, one of the ways that lets us know that Scripture is really, is really uh, from God, it's not just a bunch of made-up stories, because if the guys that wrote the Scripture wrote the story and it was just a made-up story, what would you do? You'd make yourself out to be the hero, right? And we talked about that last week. Well, once again here, look, look at the next verse. Uh, this is the disciples. And who, who was one of the disciples? That, who, was the, who wrote this? John. John was a disciple. It says, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? They're going, no, we're not going there. We're not going there. Because remind, you know, we remind Jesus all the time of stuff, right? You know, Jesus, I, you know, I did this, you need to do this. Jesus, you did this, you need to do this. We think that we have to remind Jesus like Jesus is senile or something, like God's senile or something. You know, he doesn't know anything, and so he, they remind him about what happened. I'm sure Jesus remembered, you know, almost getting stoned in, in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Judea. 
And, but they say, Rabbi, we don't want to go there. Uh, and so what does it make the, the disciples look like? Heroes? Now they look more like zeros. You know, they, instead of heroes, they look like cowards here because they're afraid to go back. This is Jesus they're with, by the way. Remember, Jesus they're with. But even though they had faith, their faith was limited at this point in their life. And they were worried. I'm not really sure they were worried so much about Jesus as they was worried about themselves. Because if you're hanging out with Jesus, he's going to get stoned. You might get stoned as well. Okay, and then verse, and, and then, then uh, I'm not going to go into these next two verses, verses 9 and 10, but 9 and 10 have this little teaching that Jesus does. I could use a whole sermon on this one little teaching he does in verse 9 and 10. You can go read it yourself and be totally confused, okay? But the teaching, uh, it was a little teaching he does. It's not as important today, the story, so I'm going to skip over that. And then verse 11, it says this. After he had said this, this little teaching in verse 9 and 10, he says, he went on to tell them. He talks to his disciples, and he tells them this. He says, our friend Lazarus has done what? What's he done? He's fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And they're going like, if you heard that, what would you think? He's asleep. Jesus, you have to go all the way back to Judea to wake him up? Can't somebody else wake him up? You know, and by the way, and this is what they say, uh, it shows what they think. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Because what happens when we're, when we're sick? One of the things our God has designed our bodies to do is to rest when we're, so we can get better, right? It's good to sleep when you're sick. It means your body is healing. It means his fever's probably down. It means all those things. But the reality is here, the reality is here, uh, uh, they think he's literally asleep in physical sleep. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking not of him going to sleep, but of his death. But the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So verse 14, he says, so then he told them plainly, isn't it true that from time to time that we need Jesus to, to tell us what it is? I mean, how many of the parables do we read in Scripture where they read, we, Jesus teaches a parable and he has to explain it to everybody because they can't figure it out? Even though some of the parables are not that hard to figure out. But he, Jesus says, says it anyway. He says he speaks in them plain and he says this. Okay, guys, he's not physically asleep. He's the other type of sleep. He is dead. Lazarus is dead. And I'm wondering at this point... Remember, going back to the whole story so far, that twice we've been reminded what the special relationship was between Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. I'm wondering when they've heard this and the disciples are going, hey, Jesus, you heard about him being sick the other day, and it's been two days now, and we've been hanging out here telling stories, you know, Moses stories, and, and we've been, you know, we've been sitting around a campfire, we've been doing all this stuff here, maybe healing some people, doing some good stuff, but your best friend, one of your best friends, Lazarus, you knew he was sick, and now some way, we don't know how this happens because they didn't have texting, and they didn't have emails, and they didn't have any of those things, because, and they were four days away as far as walking, okay? In some way, Jesus knew, but this is Jesus once again, some way he knew that Lazarus had died. And so he says, he says Lazarus is dead. So they're a little confused. And then he says, probably in the very next verse, verse 15, one of the strangest things that you've ever heard in all of scripture if you don't know the context he says Lazarus has died and he says this and looking at the disciples he says and for your sake disciples I am glad I was not there well that's not the Jesus I know that doesn't sound very compassionate you know what about this what about for Lazarus sake what about for Mary and Martha's sake no, but he says, no, for your sake, disciples, I am glad that I was not there. 
And then he finishes it by saying this, and the reason that's true, and then he, there's these two little words, two little words that come next, so that, so that you may believe. So that is a thing called a henna clause in Greek, and it basically is kind of this transitional thing that helps us to understand that, okay, this is what was said, and so that is this henna clause, basically what it does, it says, now let me tell you why that's true. Let me give you all the examples. Let me under, help you to understand. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And then he kind of finishes it up. But let us go to him. Let us go to him. He's dead. You know, I'm glad I wasn't there. And the reason I'm glad I wasn't there was because I want you to believe more. I want to raise your level of faith and trust. When we think about priorities in life, let's just be honest to our, to, about ourselves. We think that one of the highest priorities in life for us is comfort, right? Lack of, lack of stress. Lack of, uh, you know, uh, everything going fine. You know, today, if I came in here, which I did for many people, and I said, how's your day? How's your day? How's your week been? And all of you, a lot of you lie. You're going like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And you may have had the week from hell. I don't know. But you'll say stuff like that, you know? Because, you know, we just want to make everybody think that everything's fine. Because it's all about image, right? No, we think in life that comfort is the number one thing. So we think we, we take that over to God. And we think, well, God's greatest, greatest priority is to make us comfortable. To make us, you know, just, just to make our life easy. And you know what this passage is telling us here? It's, it's, it's reprioritizing God's priorities. It's telling us very clearly that in God's economy, circumstances, pain, and tragedy are sometimes legitimate tools that God uses to build faith. Yeah, you heard me right. God will use tragedy, circumstances, and pain sometimes to build our faith. Why? Why would he do that when comfort is the highest thing in life? No, it's not the highest thing in life. The reason is this. In God's economy, faith, belief, and trust are more important than pain and suffering. Faith and trust are that big of a deal to God. Because, folks, you can live the most perfect, stress-free, comfortable life and still go to hell. It still have no trust in God. And in God's economy, the number one most important decision that you and I will ever make in our whole lives is will we trust God? Will we trust Jesus Christ? Will we place our faith and trust in him? And will we grow in that faith and trust? Faith and trust are that big a deal to God. And then the, the scripture goes on, verse 21. We skip down a little bit. Verse 21. They arrive at Lazarus' sister, arrive there, and Lazarus' sister meets them. And, 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 and verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, she does exactly what we do so often. Because we place our, we place our priorities, and we place them upon God or Jesus, and we say, you know, you're supposed to have the same ones. And verse 21 says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We blame God. 
We blame God. Like in the video, you know, the, uh, the, girl, the girl that, you know, didn't have the job, didn't get the job at the World Trade Center. She's going, she's going like, well, I was mad at God. Why was she mad at God? I don't get it. You know, but we, sometimes we just simply say, well, God, I prayed about this. I think it's the right thing. Then, then you need to do what I think. And when that doesn't happen, so often we blame God. And Martha was probably thinking, you know, Martha had probably been standing, you know, outside the door looking for Jesus. They, she knew that he knew that Lazarus was sick and then it died. And, 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 and he got the word well before he, she died, before he died. And, and she's probably standing by the door looking out the door going, like, have y'all anybody seen Jesus? He's, you know, he's our good friend. He's healed many people. He's going to come. They didn't show up. He disappointed them. Verse 22. Martha says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She, she has faith and she has trust, but she lacks some understanding here. And God wants to expand that in her life. She, he wants her to have bigger faith and bigger trust and trust him in all things, even in the things she don't understand. You know, it's easy for us to have faith and trust in things we understand. You know, that's not called faith and trust. That's just faith. I mean, that's just like I see it happening. That's what's going to happen. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. Uh, that's just knowledge. But God wants us to have faith and trust in him even when we don't always understand what, what is happening at the time. That's what he wants. That's why he uses these pivotal circumstances sometimes that are, can, can be even bad to change our, our uh, relationship with him. And then verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Sounds reasonable, right? Because it's very theological and, and, and Martha takes it that way. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection, it's the last day. She's probably thinking in her mind like we so often say to people at funerals. You heard this before? You know, when somebody has lost a loved one, they've died, that we've not really not lost them, you will see them again. That's what she's thinking. She's thinking that's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, I mean, yeah, Jesus, I know, I believe, I believe there's a resurrection. Everybody will be together. Uh, those who are believers in Christ, you know, if you've lost someone before, I believe, folks, that if, if someone has died before you, a child or, or a parent or someone else, and they were a believer in Christ, and, 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 and you're a believer in Christ, that when you get, someday you will see them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because then he says this in verse 24. Um, excuse me, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He brings in a whole, another whole new category. He says, hey, it's not about just the end. He says, anybody who believes in me, and he says this in the next part of the verse, anyone who believes in, believes in, and you know what that word means, believes in, those two words together, it means trust. Anybody who trusts me. There's not a Greek word for the word trust. And so to form that concept, they take the word believe, and they place the word in after it. Believe in, which means trust. It's not to believe about, it's believe in, trust in. Me, Jesus says, will live, and even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is maybe the first time that Martha has heard this, and she's thinking about all this pain and this drama, and she's thinking, well, you know, this is a, this is a faith thing. I've gone through this, even though Jesus could have fixed it to start with, he could have, he could have healed Lazarus before he died, but he's, he's died, he wants me to trust him. And she still doesn't know what's going to happen next in the story, even though we all do because we've read the story before. And, and so then she says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was coming to the world. 
which means you were everything that you said you are. You were the Messiah, the one who's gonna, that I can totally believe in. And then the next few verses uh, in, in John chapter 11, we read the next few verses up to verse 36. We read the story of how they go to the grave. Jesus asks them to go to the grave. And as he's at the grave, uh, we know the story, you know. Even if you don't go to church, you probably heard the story. You know, Jesus, Jesus goes to the grave and he asks them to roll away the stone. And the sisters, one of the sisters uh, says to him, hey, no, 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 do you don't understand Jesus? He didn't, didn't just die. Like, we just, you just didn't miss the funeral by a few hours. He's been dead for four days. And in the King James, it says it this way. And because he's been dead for four days, his body stinketh. That's what it says in King James. I love that. Yeseth, he stinketh. And, uh, you know, that's what it says, you know. You know, he's, he's, he's dead, and, and he, he's in the grave, and, and he's been there for a few days. And in our experience, Mary and Martha saying, you know, that's not a good deal. You don't open the grave. It's going to smell bad. He's dead. And they're going like, what is he, want to open the, want to open the whole stone? Does he want to look at the body? He want to make sure he's really dead? You know, is that the deal? Why is Jesus doing this? And as he was out, out there at the grave, and this is really interesting because, once again, if we've read the whole story, we know the ending. What happens next is in verse 36 uh, verse 35 and 36 is really interesting. It says that he was there at the grave, he has a stone rolled away, and it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in Scripture. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. They're going like, you know, that's, this is really sad. But it shows something about who Jesus is. He, he realized he's taken, he's allowed, he's, he's used this instance in a sense, he has an agenda here, he's used this instance to raise the faith level, he's getting ready to do it even more, to raise the faith level of Mary, Martha, the disciples, and everybody that's around there. But at the same time, he realized what pain they've been through to get there. And so Jesus weeps. And then we read in the next few verses between verse, verse 37 to 45, we read the story of how, how Jesus calls out to Lazarus and, and Lazarus walks forth from the tomb, not dead but alive. And we always focus on that part of the story, don't we? But the reality is Jesus is teaching us something all along here, that something is more important than pain and suffering. Something's more important in my economy than anything else, and that is to raise the level of your trust and faith. And in verse 45, it kind of ends up the story by saying this. Therefore, after all this happened, after Jesus, after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, it says into verse 45, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Now, the thing I think you can't miss about the story is the relationship between this event, this tumultuous event, and faith. It is a connection we have to make because Jesus and John make sure we can't miss it. See, Jesus didn't just, and, and this is important to understand, and he doesn't do this every time, and he does, sometimes he does this, but Jesus didn't just leverage a pivotal circumstance to build faith. Sometimes he does, I believe. Because things happen in our world because he gives us options in our world. He didn't just leverage a pivotal circumstance to build faith. He almost went out of his way to create one. Because he intentionally didn't go there for a while. He intentionally let some things happen that eventually led to what eventually happened as well. And you know what I think when I think about this? I think that tells us something about the value he places on faith in him. 
the value he places on faith in him. We don't have to sort out the cause of it or allow it to, to make, it a, make us question. But either way, pivotal circumstances we understand from Scripture introduce God into the conversation of our lives. They make us reconsider what it is we're, we've put our faith in. Uh, they make us reconsider who's in control. They create a healthy sense of dependence upon God when we have these pivotal circumstances, these things where we have no other options in our life. And our responses to the circumstances in life, the good and the bad, make all the difference. Because as you and I well know, we can have bad things happen in our lives and we can, we can choose not to allow, us, allow them to help us grow in faith, right? We can become bitter about, from God, for God. And I'm going to ask myself, what makes the biggest difference in our responses between the stuff in life? And I've come to understand this by observation and in Scripture as well. The difference we often have how we, how we frame uh, the events that happen in our life is based upon, a lot of times, the people we have around us. So often I've seen people who have people around them who something bad happens and all they can do is like, you should be mad at God. Just remember the story of Job? <laughs> be mad at God and, you know, curse him! Oh, it's good friends, by the way. You know, those are really good friends, you know. Read the book of Job if you want to hear some really interesting stuff. The friends not to have, by the way, okay. But the reality is so often in life we frame things, we, we understand things because people, people around us help us to process the things that we're going through. And people who lose faith had no one there to help them properly interpret the, the process and the event. The right response leaves us open to receive God's grace. The wrong response forces us to face life without God. I love what Philip Yancey had to say in one of his books. He says this, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. See, the story assures us God is not absence absent in the upheavals of life. He's not silent or absent. He's very present. He, he's, he's working in the circumstances of life to build big faith. So, what do we do about that? What do we do? We've been in this series now for six weeks. And in the six weeks, what we've talked about is we've talked about several catalysts that God uses to, to grow our faith. These aren't things we check off a list. These aren't things that we just do. They're things that he, he brings into our life. And God is, we found this to be true in this series, that God is most honored by our faith and our confidence in him. That is the highest priority in God's economy, our trust in him. And that's why he'll use almost anything to get us to that point of trust and faith in him. See, the point of trust is, is that you place, where do you, where do you, play, where do you put uh, things together in life? For, for the rest of your life, I would ask you to do five things. And these five things will inter intersect with your faith. Number one, stay in an environment where you will have practical teaching on a regular basis. Stay in an environment, whether it's a small group or, or, or church or whoever, no matter where you live, where you go, find a place where you have practical teaching. And practical teaching, we talked about the first week, is this. It's not just about knowledge. Because you can have all the knowledge in the world and still not, it's still not practical. Practical teaching takes what God says and it takes it and helps us to understand what it says and then what we're to do about it. 
So, so once we understand what to do about it, we begin to do what it says, and then what, what happens? It grows our faith. It grows our faith. That's number one. Number two, we need to be intentional and, and available relationally. We need to be connected with people that will speak into our lives things that will help us to have greater faith. Now, we said that second week of this, that with providential relationships, you can't make happen. But you can place yourself in a position for them to happen. You need to be connected with people other than Sunday morning sitting in rows. You need to be connected with people in a small group, with, with some kind of place where you can connect with people on a regular basis so that providential relationships can take place because that's usually where they take place is in these already connections with people this doesn't pop out usually out of the air and in doing so god will work through that to bring people into your life at all the right times in your life when you need them to take the next step in your faith the third thing to do is stay stay involved in spiritual disciplines you know, when you use the word discipline, we talked about this. One of the struggles we often have is the word discipline is kind of a ne- negative word. We don't like discipline because it sounds so ugh, discipline. But you know the reason for spiritual disciplines? The reason, reason for spiritual discipline is not just about the discipline itself. It's about staying connected with God. When we pray, when we read, when we give, when we do all these things, what it does for our life, it helps us to connect with God in a way we can't do in any other way. If you want to grow in your faith, stay connected with God through your prayer life, through your reading of his word and studying of his word, through giving, through doing all the different things that will allow you to connect and and learn to be more godly in your life as well. Number four, you need to step out and serve. You need to step out and serve. We talked about this last week, the whole thing of personal ministry, that the reality is if you're not connected, God's going to stretch your faith by challenging you to do things that you don't feel equipped to do, or at least totally equipped to do. Yeah, you might have some skill set that will help you in this or that or whatever, but the reality is, is that God will take you and he will expand your faith and grow your faith. I cannot tell you how many stories, in my own life is stories, of how many times God has used, used things where I've said yes to serving in some area that I didn't feel totally competent in. God will use that. You know, so, so, so um, step out and serve. And finally, 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 look for God in the pivotal circumstances of life. In the ups and the downs. When you're going through a tough time, ask yourself this question. How can God grow my faith through this? Instead of yelling at God and going, God, why did you do this to me? You can yell at God if you want to for a little while, but then get back to the place of saying, God, how can you grow me, grow me my faith in this? Because his greatest desire in, in our lives is for you to have and me to have big faith. Big faith. And sometimes faith only grows through fire and through circumstances that sometimes seem like they're out of control, but that's when God can show up in your life let's pray God this morning we would ask that you would just enable us to examine our lives and for those of us who call ourselves believers and have already accepted made that first commitment to you God of saying yes to you as Lord and Savior 
that as we look back on our life, God, that was not the only decision that we have to make because faith is a growing process. And God, you want us to have more and more and more and more faith in you, more trust in you. And we know that's how it works in the real world as well. With relationships, we can build trust through, through time and through uh, struggles that we go through with people. And God, sometimes that's the only way we can do it with you as well. You got, and God, I know while most of us would wish you'd just give us a, a, a appeal and we'd be totally people of faith. We trust you in everything, but it doesn't happen that way. So we ask that you, as we look at these things, these catalysts that you use in our life that seem to be used over and over and over again in, in multiple people's lives and almost everybody's life, that we would examine these and realize that if we're going through these, that God, you're, you're working in us. You're, you're wanting to grow our faith. You've brought people into our life to grow our faith. You've given us practical teaching and you told us what to do to grow our faith. You've, you've helped us to learn through spiritual and private disciplines how to, how to how trust you more. You've, you've challenged us to step out and do ministry, that we've, things that sometimes we don't feel uh, capable of doing. But God, through it, you've lifted us up and helped us to do the things that we could not do our, on our own. And our faith grew even more. And then through those pivotal circumstances, those, not probably so much so much the good times, but through the tough times of life, what happens is that you have helped us as we've struggled through them to grow in our faith as well. Thank you, God, for your incredible love and your desire to see us trust you, trust you, trust you with everything of our, in our lives, God. And in doing so, God, you want our lives to be the way that you designed us to be, people that have a total and complete trust in you, and then no matter what we go through in life, then we can deal with it. Not because of us, but because of you and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your incredible love and your goodness to us. Help us to be people of big faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you guys have a great week. Next week, Chris is going to teach. And uh, we're going to have a, I don't know what we call it. What do we call it? Commissioning service for all our summer, summer mission teams and stuff. So it's going to be a cool service. So be, be with us next week. And then the following week, we start a whole new series looking at the book of Ephesians, which is really a cool book. Okay, see you then. Have a great week.